Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. It's uh, really hard to believe that in just a couple weeks, for the 14th time, we lean back into this series that has now become an annual event in the life of our church. And some people ask, why do we do this? Because the longer something exists, the easier it is to drift from why it became. And staying true to who we are is greater than any new thing that we could do. And as we step into this version of Live Love, Our world, our church, our culture is in as unique a season as it's ever been. And our leaders, can I be transparent with y'all for a while, are as weary as we've ever been as we try to figure out what God wants us to do to continue to be a light in this community for as long as we possibly can. I don't know if you know this, but the reason why we call this thing Vintage Church is because If you look up the word vintage in the dictionary, one of the definitions will say representing the high quality of a past time. And it was years ago when I was reading through the book of Acts that that word came to mind. Because what I saw in the pages of scripture, I'd never really consistently or fully seen in my own experience. And as you read through the book of Acts, you see this expression of church that's full of wonder and beauty and Not that I want to replicate it because I don't think God does the same thing he did. I think he does new things, but I think there's a spirit there that was at the heart. See, it it wasn't, look at me, church. It wasn't what they did. It was who they were that changed the world. So you open your book, open your Bible to the book of Acts. Go ahead and go there with me. Please open up your Bible. Pull it up on your phone, however you want to access God's word. And all week as we've been preparing to kind of put a bow on the thoughts we've been thinking over the, or teaching in uh, over the last several weeks, God gave me a passage of scripture, but he didn't really give me a sermon. So, you know, I'm about to read a ton of verses. And I know we're in the modern day church, and if a preacher reads more than about three verses, people go like this. Isn't it weird that we're not comfortable with reading lengthy passages of scripture in church? You're here to hear what God said, not what I have to say. Come on, somebody. So go with me to Acts chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 17, wait for it, through 38. So hopefully you took your ADD meds and y'all ready to roll this morning. Because see, y'all listen to me. What happened in there is why we are in here. What happened in here is why we are in here that we're a part of the spiritual family tree of the men and women that started this thing after Jesus ascended. And they lived it so well and owned it so deeply that it's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And we've been riding the wave of what God did here for centuries, and now we're entrusted to keep it moving forward. You don't realize what can die in a single generation. You don't realize what can be lost in a single generation. You say, Matt, it's putting a lot of pressure on us. I want you to feel it. I want you to own it. Acts chapter 20, 
Starting with verse 17. You ready? Say amen. It says, now for Miletus, he, Paul, went to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. When they came to him, he said to them, you know from the first day I set in foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. You know I did not hesitate to proclaim anything to you that was profitable and to teach you publicly and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course. And the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his blood. Because I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert. Remember that night and day for three years, I've never stopped warning each one of you with tears. And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that I work with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. In every way, I've shown you that it's necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the, Lord's, the words of the Lord Jesus because he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. After he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, grieving most over grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. The last several weeks, we've rallied around a word that most of us prefer not to consider, the word legacy. Legacy. We didn't, we didn't plan to be in a series over these last few weeks, but as our team came back from the Czech Republic, this word just hasn't been able to leave me. Thinking of the legacy that was carved out before me, which has given me the life I now have, 
the legacy of faith by brave men and women who not just believed in Jesus, not just showed up at church, but actually lived their lives in full commitment to Christ. Chief of those, my mom and dad, who didn't just tell me about Jesus and make me go to church, but show me what it was like to, to live out a constant faith in who God is, what it was like to be a man and a woman of God, what was it like to have a godly marriage, what it was like to honor God in all areas of their lives and not leave anything outside the umbrella of his influence. And wrestling with the fact that I've been given something that now I'm entrusted with to hand to the generation that lies behind me. And am I gonna leave something as good or greater than what I was given? And if I'm gonna wrestle with that, I say we all gonna wrestle with that. If God's gonna make me think about it, I'm gonna make you think about it as well. So we wrestle with some questions. The first one was what legacy are you leaving through the life you're currently living? What legacy are you leaving through the life you're currently living? Because we acknowledge that you will leave a legacy. This is not optional. You will leave a legacy. Is it the one you want to leave? Will it be one that is like the one that was handed to me? Will it be godly marriage or really bad with money? <laughs> that you're carving out a legacy with the life that you're living. And there are people that are watching you, especially if you claim the name of Jesus, if you've made a profession of faith, like we're gonna watch people go through those waters today. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you're carving out a legacy for what it means to know him. So I'm asking us to own it. What legacy are you leaving through the life you're currently living? And if it's not the one you want, it's time to change, to stop waiting because time is moving. Come on, somebody. Who is it moving? To change, to pay attention to the way that you're living. And if you want to carve out a lasting legacy for the generation that follows and lay a foundation of faith you have to pay attention to who's paying attention. And last week, I was reminded us all that it's not just about how you're living. It's also about what you're saying. Because, yeah, you need to think about what legacy are you leaving with the life that you're living, but you also need to think about what legacy are you leaving with the words you are speaking. Because your words matter. They have weight. Scripture says, with your words, you can burn down or you can build up. Which are you doing? I'm asking us to think about our legacy, the one that we're leaving. And this week, I felt like it was time to kind of put a bow on this thought. And God led me to this passage of Scripture. Where Paul was coming to a transition in his life. And Paul is, is one of the greatest reminders that we have that it's never too late to change the course of your life. Because when, when Acts opens up, when, when this book first starts and the church is being born, Paul is the exact opposite of the man that we see in Acts chapter 20. When you move into the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, you see a man that's so convinced that what Jesus started is contrary to his religious system, he is willing to kill people for it. 
Even when Stephen is stoned, the first man that we know of to give his life for his faith in Jesus, Paul's there celebrating, championing what's happening in that moment. And then one day, Paul's kind of going from city to city, and Jesus shows up and radically changes his life. It's a reminder it's not too late to change the course of your life. You can go from church persecutor to church planner and change the world. Because our God redeems. And so what Paul would do after he found Jesus is he would go from town to town to town and he would, he would set up shop in a synagogue or in a public place and he would, he would actually begin by opening up the Old Testament and he would say, let me, let me show you this Jesus that I didn't believe in at one time. He's, he's all in here. Like this one that we've been waiting for, you can go to Leviticus, you can go to Genesis, you can go to the Psalms and Proverbs. Like you can find him in Jeremiah, you can see him in Isaiah. Like he's all in this book and he hits every mark that's there and then he would bring people to faith in Jesus and he would have these conversations. He would raise up followers. He would empower him, and then he would move on. And when we get to Acts chapter 20, it's time for him to leave a place that he deeply loved, a place that he had stayed longer than any other place that he had traveled in his missionary journeys, Ephesus. He spent three years investing in these people, trying to build a church that would last. Because knowing that there would come a time when God was going to call him away. And Exodus, I mean, uh, Acts chapter 20 is his farewell address. He knows, okay, it's time for me to move on. So he gathers up the elders, the leaders, the people that now he was going to hand the baton of leadership to these men and women and entrust that they would be able to continue what he started. Number one, because it's a reminder that the church is always bigger than one person. The church is not about the pastor. The church is not about the worship team. The church is not about any single individual. A healthy, powerful church should be able to last no matter who comes or who goes because Jesus always reigns. And he knows that, hey, I'm going to move on. And like a good preacher, he's like, let me give you one last sermon. Let me say a few things before I exit. And God brought me into this passage and been reading it and reading it and reading it over the last seven days. Asking God to teach me. And I ain't gonna lie, man. Like, I, knew, I know God wanted me to read this passage. Up until today, I really have no idea what he wants me to tell you about it. But as I read Paul's farewell, look, I began to think about my own. What would it look like? I ain't going anywhere, but someday I will. Someday there will come a moment where I have to hand this beautiful church to the next leader. And am I doing now the things that are necessary so that we're ready then? Because you can't wait till the end to think about the ending. Because what you want it to look like then is shaped by what you're doing now. And I begin to read Paul's words and just absorb all the things that he said he had done, all the things that he was doing. And you, you even see, and, and I almost wonder, is, is he, is he kind of subliminally trying to say, this is how I've lived among you. And so now you, you've got to adopt. I've been doing all this for you. Now it's your turn to step in and lead and remember the way I did it. 
He says, from the moment I stepped foot in Asia, I was with you the whole time. That, that I, didn't, I didn't lead from a distance because you can't. Like, if you're gonna leave a lasting legacy, it requires real community, and community doesn't happen absent of proximity. Did that make sense? Say amen if you heard what I said, come on. Like, see, that's so foreign to the culture in which we live. The people that influence us most are people you know the least, because only the way you know them is Instagram. It's so funny that we use people on social media and we slap this label, influencer. You don't even know who they are. And they're shaping your worldview and the clothes you put on your back and the way you spend your, that's stupid. Can we just get real in church for about five minutes? And maybe the reason why we like that is because we're afraid the closer we get, the more we'll be seen. And we're worried that what people will see, they won't like. Because anybody can look good from a distance. But when you get up close, hey, Sherry, (laughs) it changes things. And I began to think about my influence. Most people in this room, y'all don't know me. You know, that guy. And it's easy to have opinions about that guy. But I think about, do the people that know me best, do they respect me most? The ones who are up close. Because it's easy to be respected from a distance. But what about when you get up close? My wife, does my wife look up here and see the same man she sees at home? My kids, do what they hear from the preacher, does it align with who they see in their father? Because if I'm gonna leave the lasting legacy, the one that I want to leave, I gotta be the same man in private as I am in public. I want the people who know me best to respect me most, and I want to live in such a way that the closer I get. See, question, the closer you get, if you're honest, does, it, does your influence fade the closer you get, or does it grow? Is your influence diluted when you start to remove distance? Because who you are from afar is not who you are up close? Are you even willing to get up close? The reason why we don't like proximity is because proximity is messy. We can't hide things. And there's something about the way that Paul lived. He he lived up close. He got near. He came close to them in such a way that, that he was vulnerable and transparent and he lived and did life among them. I love how he says that basically I I preached on the platform. I stood on the platform and I sat in the living room. He says, in the synagogue and from house to house. Like, yeah, I want to stand up here. And will I say the same things up here as I would if we're sitting across a cup of coffee at Starbucks? And y'all know me, I would. 
to have these conversations. And he even says, you know what? Now that I'm leaving, I'm cool because I know that I've said to you everything that God's word has to say, that I have not shrunk back from saying the hard things. And church, we live in a time unlike any other when preachers have to start preaching truth. Even if it means there'll be more empty seats in this room in the future, that I am ultimately responsible to God for what I say and what I won't say. He said, I said it all. I preached the full compass of scripture. I've lived among you. I've walked among you. I've served. And you even hear him say it hasn't been easy. Did you notice how many times he said with tears, through tears? Y'all know I'm a crier. Our team, when they do how great they are, I cry, I ugly cry every time. But he says, not only am I having to deal with all this pressure, he says, I'm also having to deal with all this tension, all these plots coming from the Jews. See, one of the things that I think we have to understand is, is you can't wait till there's no distractions to start making a difference. That he constantly had things coming at him to dilute his influence, but he knew the, how he used the influence he had would determine the legacy he would leave. And now he's coming to this point where he's got to pass it on, and he wants to ensure that when he's gone, this church continues to thrive. And y'all, for, for decades, Ephesus did. It was a beacon of hope in the community in which it was. It was this, it was kind of the trendsetter for so much of the other church. Like if if they could see all that God was doing through Ephesus, it was, it was willing to innovate and move. And it was a hardworking group of believers and people. And, and Paul even sent one of the young men that he most invested in, Timothy, to be a leader in that church for a while. And for decades, that church did amazing things. I want this church to be around for a really, really long time. Because if Jesus doesn't come back in the next few years, which who knows? We got work to do, church. We got work to do. The last 14 years have been amazing, but I can't help but think what the next 14 gonna look like. And if our current student ministry is a reflection of the future of this church, it's in really good hands. It's in really good hands. It's in really good hands. But see, here's the thing about Ephesus. It was a beacon of hope for a really long time, but it's also the first church that Jesus would address in the book of Revelation. I don't know if y'all know this, but the vast majority of Revelation is God trying to get the church to wake up. Not so they can necessarily be looking for him, but so they can be doing the work for him they're supposed to be doing. And the very first church that Jesus would address in the book of Revelation is this one, Ephesus, the one that Paul is exiting in Acts chapter 20. 
And can I remind you what Jesus said to that church? It's in Revelation. It's not Revelations, it's Revelation. Just like you don't go to the Walmarts. It's a serious moment, stop. Revelation chapter two, verse two. Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, I know your works, your labor, and in your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. So it's like, yes, Paul, you did it. You did it, Paul. Everything you said in Acts 20, man, it stuck, and they did it. They worked hard. They stood for truth. They didn't tolerate false teaching. But, verse 4, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. And I don't even know if this is on the screen, but I'm gonna keep reading. Otherwise, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I want to be a light that lasts. But how we keep the light on is not just about how hard we work. I've said for years, this church is one of the hardest working churches I've ever been around. Through the years of set up and tear down and all the things that we've done, and now as we continue to try to work hard to figure out what God wants us to do next, but sometimes that grind, that grind, living for Jesus. It's a grind. It is. Can we be honest? Serving Jesus sometimes it's a grind. It wears on you. It's hard. It's difficult. Whether you're serving him like this to get up and come to this building week in and week out and get here at 5.30 in the morning and be here till 1.30 in the afternoon and look out at them worshiping like this. It can wear on you to the point where the love gets lost. But if the love for him in you fades, the light for him will eventually grow dim. When love fades, the light goes out and we are called to shine. He says, I'm gonna take away the lampstand. The reason why is because that lamp without love, love is the oil in the lamp that causes it to shine brightest. And the grind of serving him and and trying to follow him and and stay true to him and the culture in which we live, it can wear on you to the point where you're just going through the motions and you become this spiritual robot. And you're not sinning and you're not doing anything wrong and you're not going off the rails and your marriage is okay and you're okay like so much in your life seems so in order but you're just going through the motions and the love has been lost and the light is going dim and we are called to shine like the stars in the sky 
that Paul said to Ephesus, I'm leaving and I want you to work hard, but don't forget who you love most. Because if you forget why you do it and who you do it for, then what you will do will become so difficult that you wanna quit. And you can't quit. You ever wanted to quit? I have this week. You ever wanna just give up? It's just too hard, Jesus. It's just too hard. Life will suck the love out of you. But if love fades, the light will go dim. And so I'm asking us to stay in love with Jesus. Don't be in love with how we do church. Don't be in love with live love and we're getting new shirts and all the other silly things that come along with it. Stay in love with Jesus. If this church is gonna be a beacon of hope for him 20 years from now. It will not be because we did good music. It will not be because I preached good sermons. It will be because you stayed in love with him. And maybe you're in here and the love has been fading and the light has been dimming. And today's a day of renewal and replenishing and refreshing. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Nothing revives us like watching baptism because it reminds us of a moment when the love was real and the light was bright. And so today, if you're here and you're going public with your faith through baptism, I'm gonna ask you to go ahead, get up out of your seat, head out the back doors to my left. Some of our team will be there waiting on you to give you further instructions. Just go ahead. If you're getting baptized, make your way out to those doors. I also want to remind you, if today is the day that you need to go public with your faith in baptism and you said, I didn't come prepared, we've got you. We have shorts, we have shirts, we have towels, we have everything you need to be obedient to whatever God is calling you to do right now. So if you say, you know what, that's what I need to do today. I need to get up, I need to go out, I need to say yes. Just a minute, I'm gonna pray and team's going to lead us and worship one more time as we prepare to watch these go through the waters. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm going to ask you to respond however you feel led. If you want to stand and sing, stand and sing. If you want to kneel, if you want to come around this platform, turn it into an altar and ask God to renew your strength, to restore your love for him so that your light for him can shine as bright as it possibly can. You spend some time with God today. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you still reign, that the same God in the book of Acts that was working miraculous wonders is the same one we're talking to right now. God, thank you for those who went before us. God, thank you though for those who will come after us. And God, we pray that you would give us everything that we need to shine bright for you. God, you know how hard it is to serve you, to walk with you, to trust you. And God, that grind can rob us of joy if we let it. And the enemy can convince us that it's just time to quit.
God, help us to stay true. And God, as we lift up our voice and worship to you now, may your spirit meet with us in the individual ways we need him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.